Ohio State plays pretty close for three quarters and then turns on the afterburners against Penn State. What does it tell us about the looming matchup with that team up north? We'll dig into it and where we think Ohio State fares heading into the first college football playoff rankings of the season. All that and more in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, joined by the erudite, the scholarly, the handsome Johnny Gender. Johnny, Ohio State versus Penn State, you know, it felt like the Iowa game a little bit to start with there where Ohio State just couldn't run the ball at all. Yeah. Uh, Penn State takes a one-point lead into the half. My spidey sense was tingling. The upset alert was was on in full tilt. How worried, how late were you in that game? So I wasn't I got to the point where I was like, all right, if Ohio State, it was in the fourth quarter, right, where I knew they they functionally had, I was like, okay, if, if the game continues as it's been going, they've got basically two drives left, right? They've got nine or so minutes. They've got two drives left. They need to score a touchdown on one of those, and then I'll feel like, okay, they've, they've still got this thing in the bag. Uh, so I wasn't freaking out too much and then of course you know they score combined the team score what like 44 or 45 points in the last really like the last half of the of the fourth quarter which is completely mind-blowing and and you know we'll get into the defensive scores and performances that made that possible but i i really you know it, it never really felt like penn state was going to be able to keep rolling 20s the entire game because You know, Sean Clifford statistically, I think, had a pretty good game. Obviously, he was able to keep the team in it. They they made some big plays. But if you rewatch that game, I mean, the the percentage of of those passes that he was making, I mean, those are incredibly low percentage throws. And he was hitting on all of them. And Penn State was getting every single break. And so over the course of a 60 minute game, you're just not you're not going to get that every single time. And, And for Penn State. You know, their magic kind of ran out towards the end. But honestly, had had you seen some of that in like the second or third quarter, Ohio State probably could have won by 30 or 40. So it like it's just one of those things where I think it took a while for Ohio State's offense to get some momentum. And also Penn State was just extremely lucky through three quarters. And I don't mean they weren't, you know, playing well or anything like that. They were. They're a legitimate team. They were playing well and they did some good things on defense, especially to keep Ohio State close. But they were also just, I think, really uh, they they were they were hitting on things that they normally would not, I guess, is the way I would put it. Yeah, it definitely felt like they had all the momentum, despite the fact that, you know, their opening two series end up with Ohio State turnovers, uh, you know, Ohio State's defense forcing turnovers. Yeah. Uh, But like you say, every break seemed to go Penn State's way. Ohio State couldn't get out of its own way in terms of play calling. It didn't feel like sometimes you. You know, I remember during the Urban Meyer years feeling like, God, he's a stubborn SOB when he wanted a Braxton Miller. He wanted a JT Barrett to just, you know, make it happen. Uh, and I'm screaming, you know, give Hyde the damn ball and right. things like that. This felt a little bit like that. And and maybe it has the last two weeks where Day was just going to chip and chip and chip and chip and chip away at the same thing. And you just wanted to like, particularly against Penn State, you want to say, the middle of the field is wide open. Just rip these guys apart. Right, right. Marvin Harrison had a game. Holy smokes, yeah. that guy. Well, 185 yards, something like that. 185 yards. Yeah, just went 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 straight off. Uh, but but maybe that – and see, this is where I, I struggle with what's the takeaway. Is it that 
you know, Ryan Day believes he can do something and he's going to do it until it works. Was he trying to figure out what he could get away with and what he couldn't get away with against a team like Michigan? Because you you think, okay, you've had two of the best defenses in the country back to back in Iowa and Penn State. Maybe maybe that's what that is. That that stubbornness is it. Hey, I'm going to prove that we can do it. And oh crap, maybe we can't. Like I'm still trying to figure out. And he said after the game. He didn't have any quick answers on the running game situation, but but what's your what's your level of concern about the fact that Ohio State hasn't been able to crack 100 yards rushing for two weeks in a row? Yeah, I mean that's concerning. I, and I think you know on the round table we're like, all right, well is this a is this a thing? Not a thing? You know, is this, is this something that Ohio State fans should be concerned about? And I think most of the people on staff in general, and, and you know the conversations that we have, and I think most fans even before. This past week, we're like, no, 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 they'll figure it out. They'll write the ship. But they really kind of didn't. And I think part of it is you've got some banged up running backs. I mean, you know, you looked at Mayan's hand after that injury. Like, ah, fingers fingers really don't bend that way normally. Usually bad. Um, And I think, you know, maybe Henderson's still dealing with some residual effects of his injury. I, I just think that A they need to figure out where the running game fits and the term of the scheme, the offense, it can't just be something that you turn to, right? It's got to be an integral part of what you're attempting to do. And right now it doesn't really feel like that. It kind of feels like, you know, it's garnish on their offensive game plan. And it, it, it really can't be that way, especially when you play a team like Michigan or, you know, you get past Michigan, you play, let's say, Illinois in the Big Ten championship game. Like you you have to be able to control the clock and not just say, all right, well, we're going to score four touchdowns in five minutes and then, you know, deal with that. Because as much as I was saying Penn State got lucky, I mean, let's be honest, Ohio State cannot rely on you know, scoring butt tons of points at the very end of the game to beat quality opponents. You really got to be able to come up ahead quickly. And uh, I think the running game, especially in the red zone, is is a big part of that. So they got to get that thing rolling. I I look at this and I'm really, I've really been trying to decide how concerned I should be. You know, I, I turn to the data uh, as, yep. as I often do when I'm not sure. Uh, and I was looking today at, at Bill Connolly, who's the father of SP plus. So we talked about frequently in the program. I looked at his recap, uh, the statistical recap of the game. And I thought his, his comment was pretty good. You know, if you'd told me that Ohio state would average seven and a half yards per play, let that sink in for a minute, that despite the fact that they couldn't run the ball, right. They average seven and a half yards per play. If, if I told you Ohio state would average seven and a half yards of play with a plus four turnover margin, you might've assumed they won by like 60. Right. And certainly that wasn't the case. Connolly went on to say, you know, it's kind of wild. Penn state seemed like it was playing out of its mind defensively, but Ohio state still averaged seven and a half yards per play. So, mm-hmm. and this is the quote I thought was really wh- where I'm going with this. Ohio state's offensive ceiling is the highest imaginable. So when you look at the fact that they've struggled to run the ball and yet, and yet, I mean, that's the kind of, yeah, they're scoring 45 points game after game after game. Yeah. A game where if you ask the average Ohio state fan, they would tell you it sucked, burn it all to the ground. It was terrible. We hate everything. They scored 45 points and average seven and a half yards a play. Right. What are you going to do with that? How many teams really can defend that? 
Well, and that's the thing, though, because it really is like maybe two or three, and that's in the entirety of college football. But that's that's what we're doing right now, right? I mean, it really none of these games, you know, leading up to the Michigan game are about any teams but those four potential playoff teams. It, it is you are looking at Ohio State through the lens of would that performance have succeeded in the college football playoff or the Big Ten championship or against Michigan? That's really all it is. And so that's that's what makes it, I think, hard to enjoy a victory like that sometimes, which is sad because I think that was a quality win. It was a really classic game. But um, yeah, that that's what you're doing. I mean, you're saying, okay, can can this offense keep up with what Tennessee does, right? Can they is it good enough to overcome? You know what Georgia is able to do defensively. Is it able to control the ball like Michigan does? And so you have to think about those things every time you watch Ohio State. And you know, like I said, it, it does take away a little bit from the enjoyment, but um, it, it's also, I think, just kind of a practical consideration of of who Ohio State's really comparing themselves against. I think the interesting thing when you look at when you look at that 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 question of can they hold up is is i i like this as i was going through Connolly's data uh he has a statistic in there he calls uh, post-game win expectancy and uh-huh. you know as you as you understand as i understand it um it's a measure of how likely a team was to win a game based on how they played during the game so so in other words looking looking back the way they played would you have expected them to play to to win half the time, seven times out of 10. In other words, was it a fluky win or was it Ohio state would win 96% of the time. If you ran that simulation a hundred times, they would win 96 times with the way that game played. So, so it wasn't, Hey, Ohio state got lucky. Um, And, and what that says to me is because the way this team is constructed, the number of different ways it can hurt you defensive scores, as an example, we'll talk about that in a minute. I, I, I'm not worried about Tennessee because Tennessee has a defense that can't do what a Penn state or an Iowa or maybe a Michigan can. Michigan worries me more than anybody else for a variety of reasons. Uh, I don't think Alabama worries me that much. I think the game that would, would make me say, okay, here's where we're going to really see the rubber meet the road will be Georgia. Like the two teams I'm like, this is going to be where it all comes together, Michigan and Georgia. I'm not so worried Mm. about Alabama aside from just the fact that Nick Saban is Nick Saban. But I'm not worried about Tennessee because I don't think their defense can do to Tennessee's offense. I don't think their defense can do to Ohio State's offense what Ohio State's defense can do to Tennessee's offense. Right. If that makes well, sense. You know what? I was thinking about this, too, because obviously we've got Georgia and Tennessee coming up, right? And, you know, people talk about the playoffs making the regular season, like, you know, not as relevant or anything. But honestly, I, you know. I would I would pay attention to a game like that between two top five opponents and then you know rivals and all the things like that. But now it, it takes on an added dimension because of who you think you're going to have to play going into it. So I, I do think that I pay more attention to some of these games than I normally would otherwise, just because I really want to get a handle on you know what I'm what Ohio State might be potentially looking at in December. So that's, I don't know. It's just interesting to me because um, I agree with you. I I think Tennessee's got kind of a wonky defense and Ohio state could score points. And then you see what, you know, their quarterback is doing what hookers out there do. It's, it's it's kind of wild. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. And I do agree with you though, that it's every, 
the cool thing about this year in college football, I think, is that the teams at the top are different in very pointed, uh, significant ways, right? Yeah. They're, they're really, they're really like super different from each other. They're not clones that's of one given model. Yeah, and it's not like a situation because sometimes you look at these SEC teams and they're like, okay, you know, solid quarterbacking. They're going to do pro style. They're going to kind of play the same defenses. And you don't really see any of that right now with the teams that are at the top. So I love that. I, that. I'm I'm really excited to see so many different play styles and schemes bounce off of each other uh, towards the end of the year here. That'll be fun too. I want to talk about C.J. Stroud for a little bit. I I was trying to make a point in the debriefing Sunday morning, and I apparently failed miserably. I was making the point that if you gauge Stroud's performance as a quarterback purely through the metric of, was this a Heisman-worthy performance? The fact yeah. that he only threw one touchdown pass, uh, 385 yards, I think was the number uh, passing, which was exceptional, uh, 79% completion rate, exceptional. Uh, yep. Just the one touchdown pass. And I'm like, you know, people who look at this only through the lens of, the Heisman race, the statistical horse race are going to say, oh, this was just a ho-hum game for him because he didn't have four or five touchdowns like he had in several of those highlight real games early in the season. Mm -hmm. And and that was the point I was making that, that, that sort of you suck the joy out of watching a truly great season from a quarterback when you only view it through the, well, is this a Heisman worthy performance? And a couple yeah. of guys kind of lit me up in the comments on that uh, because they felt that this was a Heisman worthy performance that he answered the bell in crunch time when the team really needed him made, as you were talking about, uh, talking about Clifford making some low percentage throws, uh, you know, Stroud makes some throws that just are just right on the money where they need to be. So Harrison's the only guy in the field that could catch him. Uh, how did you feel about Stroud's performance as, as a quarterback? And in your mind, is he still the man to beat when it comes to the Heisman trophy? I don't think he's the man to beat. I think I think Hooker's got the inside track, both in the betting odds and also just in terms of marquee games and things like that. However, I mean that that will probably even itself out a little bit. I mean, it depends on what happens. You know, Tennessee and Georgia uh, this coming weekend, and obviously what happens in the game. So there there are definitely opportunities for CD Stroud to get back into it. But um, yeah, it's it's weird because. I don't, I mean, he had a great game. I, I don't think, you know, a lot of this, even, even his already high completion percentage, for example, was lower just because there were some drops, right? Like there were some, there were some passes that should have been hauled in that weren't. And I don't, I, I think about, um, I think about how we look at like, for instance, JK Dobbins running for 2000 yards and everybody's kind of like, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> It's like it never happened before in the history of Ohio State football. People are kind of like, yeah, that was a good season. And, you know, the same thing, same thing with CJ Stroud, where it's like he's doing these mind bending things yeah. that no Ohio State quarterback has ever done. And most college football quarterbacks in the history of the sport have ever done. And we're kind of like, yeah, yep, you know, 354 yards. That's that's pretty good. It's like, I don't know. It, it it is hard to appreciate it sometimes. And I don't know, maybe it's a factor or a result of the um of the game changing so much. Maybe it's just a result of that's what we expect with Ohio State now. That's just a matter of course. Okay. But it's I, I don't know. This thing with Hooker, I find really interesting that all of a sudden he is the it thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to run these stats by you because I think this is really fascinating. So okay. Hendon, Hook, Hendon Hooker. 
156 completions on 219 attempts, 71.2% completion rate. Yeah. CJ Stroud, 159 completions on 223 attempts for a 71.3% completion rate. I mean, yeah. statistically the same. Hooker, 2,338 total yards passing. CJ Stroud, 2,377 yards passing. <laughs> Their averages uh, per completion identical at 10.7 yards. Touchdowns, yeah. Hooker with 21. Stroud with 29, however, yeah. comma, Hooker has just the one pick to Stroud's four. This is so good. Hooker's longest pass, 78 yards, Stroud's 79. Good Lord. <laughs> and they're rating Hooker's at 191.6, Stroud with a 200.2. Yeah. So all that to say, I guess it, it's not crazy that Hooker's in the conversation, but the fact that all of a sudden everybody's like, oh man, it's, it's, it's his to lose. I'm like, you know... They're in a dead heat statistically, and Stroud has the edge in terms of scoring and and uh, overall rating. So, now what's different is Hooker does have some rushing stats that that Stroud yes. doesn't have because he Stroud, you know, famously is not going, <laughs> infamously depending on how you want to look at it, is not going to run the ball. Where you know Hooker's carrying at, God, I think he's averaging like ten carries a game. Yeah. Um, you know, and, he, and he's, you know, his last game against Florida. That's the one where everybody's talking about because he clocked in 112 yards rushing. Um, he's got a couple, a couple, uh, rushing touchdowns to his credit. Uh, By the way, real quick, I <laughs> watching CJ Stroud go off on a couple of those runs against Penn state. I really hope that everybody who was clamoring for him to be a more mobile quarterback, were watching those real carefully. Cause as, as amazing as I think he is, my man is not built for the rushing quarterback role. That is not, that is not his strength. That is no. not where his, his true ability. Abilities lie. Um, and it's just funny to me. They're like, yeah, yeah, you can always just run it. I'm like, ah, can he? Can he though? I mean, I mean, I think you can make the argument to me, you can make the argument that CJ Stroud is the the best passer in Ohio State history. I think I think you can make yeah, that argument with a straight face. Absolutely. I, and I look at it this way. I, I wasn't paying to see Joe Montana run a hundred times a game. You know, no. like that's not what that's not what he no. made his bread and butter doing, okay. Like you've got a guy that can throw Marvin Harrison those balls, right? Let him throw the ball. Let the dude cook. And and the thing is, is that like, yes, it does. I guess limit you somewhat as a quarterback. But the other that, thing does is, it though? Does it? Yeah, I mean, that, right. But that's exactly. I just read you his stat line. I don't know right. how limiting. That really right. Is. No, but it, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, yeah, in theory, that I guess that's true. But if you're looking at at what C.J. Stroud is doing and what he does, yeah. then maybe not. Maybe you know what? Maybe okay, fine. Maybe he does run for, you know, a ten yard completion or a 10 yard first down uh, conversion, but maybe that pass would have been a 25 yard first down conversion instead if he held mm -hmm. onto it and found, you yeah. know, Harrison breaking free or Fleming or whoever, because that's really his game. That's what he does. He can extend plays. He does that nifty little thing where he kind of like kites the, you know, defensive end if they're crashing on him, and then, you know, kind of twists away so that they can't tackle him in the next few seconds. And then he mm -hmm. finds a guy on the sidelines. He loves doing that. And it works most of the time. And he's yeah. passing, you know, for you know, pretty good clip. And so I, you know, it just that's who he is. That's his game. Let the dude cook. Let him yeah. let him, you know, throw for a billion yards every game because that's how Ohio State wins. And he's hyper accurate, billion touchdowns. He's got a really good rapport with his wide receivers. I mean, I I think he's he's 
playing pretty fantastically. Yeah, seventy nine percent of his passes. Uh, I just that was fantastic. Twenty six of thirty three for I said three hundred eighty five yards earlier. Three hundred fifty four yards. Um, yeah. that pass to Stover also was you know brilliant. That touchdown pass. Yeah, uh, that was that was fantastic. Stover, you know, he looked kind of rough earlier in in uh, in some of his blocking schemes, but man, the second half he was he was spot on. Um, locked in. really locked in and you talk about the rapport that Stroud has with his receivers because it's not just the Marvin Harrison show. I mean, it is the Marvin Harrison show. A guy had 185 yards, but a Mecca we talked about earlier in the season might've been the most underrated guy in, in the country in terms of wide receivers Stover, yep. you know, caught like a half a dozen passes, I think. Uh, so, you know, Fleming didn't have his best game, but it's, it's not just one guy getting 90% of the catches uh it, and he has that faith in a handful of guys it's clear his connection with harrison is special it's clear mm -hmm. that the two of them are just dynamite together but if you want to key in and, and look penn state may have the best uh one of the best defensive backs in the country and joey porter jr um and man you know it didn't seem to matter because ohio state still pass for all those yards 300 354 yards i mean that's incredible yep. one one other thing that did concern me back to because i think this is somewhat related to the running game ohio state converted three or four on fourth down which is absolutely incredible uh ohio state you know going into the game ranked number six nationally in fourth down um defense which was which was great uh but penn state i'm sorry i said that wrong when i started this penn state converted three or four fourth downs in the day so that's that's not ideal and related to that kind of on the other side of the ball ohio state only converted like four of 12 fourth uh, third downs so yeah. two two conversion statistics i was concerned about is ohio state letting penn state convert three out of four fourth down attempts and ohio state not being able to convert very well on third down those were those were two other things that kind of leapt out of me from the box score that mm -hmm. You know, I think they're going to have to be mindful of, particularly as this all heads down the tracks toward toward Michigan. All well, right, and, and both of those things, both of those things have to do with the running game, right? Like it really is about making sure that you can convert and, and also prevent in those situations. And I think Penn State was really creative with the running game. They figured out a way yeah. to get Ohio State's defense kind of flat footed a little bit. And, uh, the, you know, there was that one fourth down conversion. I think it was like a, it wasn't a run, but it ended up being like a little leak pass to a, a tight end. And, you know, Joel Clapp pointed out on the broadcast, there was basically like three different options that, um, you know, they could have gone to there. And then honestly, all three of them probably would have been successful. Those, there was some smart play calling, I think, on the part of James Franklin. Not, not throughout the game. There was definitely some dumb stuff. And <laughs> situationally, <laughs> yeah, but situationally, I, you know, he did okay. And um, you know, part of it is just his stubbornness was sticking with a quarterback that is just is just so horribly inaccurate and and does such a bad job at at taking care of the ball um, that it's it's hard to stay again uh, stay in uh, on games against a, a team as talented as Ohio State. I say definitely have to figure out this uh, running game situation, though. I think we'll hear about that all week long and the various media availabilities and so on. Uh, they're averaging just 2.9 yards per carry over the last two contests between Iowa and Penn State, holding the Buckeyes between those two games to 164 yards on 56 that's carries. Yeah, that's bad. Now, one thing that is not bad was how insanely good 
JT Tui Maloa was during this game. He had an all-time great performance against yeah. Penn State. There, there was nothing that guy couldn't do. His final stat line is the sort of thing that, like, you know, legends are <laughs> made of. Forcing four turnovers, um, which led that to alone is points. insane. Oh, that that just, I mean, geez, oh, crime. That, <laughs> like, I know he had the two interceptions, but the the four total making one person accountable for four turnovers is just unheard of that is bonkers stuff that is crazy yeah, sorry to interrupt i just no, I, I keep no, thinking that i'm like it's, i can't I, when does that ever happen ever jason stared at this line on twitter which i thought was great you know players this century who record two interceptions two sacks a forced fumble and a fumble recovery in the same game uh jt to him alone that's it yeah <laughs> that's that's, it. that's the in, list in, in 22 years as the only guy to do it uh it, it you know it was it was an easy choice i think for the award pickers this week uh to see him not only as the big 10 player of the week but also just a heap of national uh recognitions as well Yep. Uh, with the Walter Camp Player of the Week, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week, the Chuck McNark <laughs> Player of the Week, it just you know a, a really outstanding performance, and and was a guy who, you know, him and Zach Harrison both have had really good weeks the last couple weeks, and they were guys who, you know, were I'm trying to remember if it was Larry Johnson or Ryan Day, but one of the coaches said you know these were kind of being unsung heroes because they were they were doing the Lord's work, but weren't necessarily the guys who were stuffing the stat sheet. You know, we've all been talking about Tommy Eichenberg doing, you know, 12 to 15 tackles a game and being all over the field. And he's been amazing. We've talked about Lathan Ransom and his, his, where we took Tanner McAllister. They've all had their moment in the sun and, and Harrison and Tui Malowal have been like doing their thing very quietly. And we haven't talked about them a whole bunch. And then the last two weeks, I mean, they have just been absolutely incredible. Yeah, uh, and certainly the the performance of, and I, I I want to digress here for a minute. The whole controversy over whether it's JT or JTT, or like whether or not he gets <laughs> mad about this strikes me. I don't want to say it's the dumbest controversy ever because a man's name is his name, and we should all respect that. Yeah, but the reason that it just gripes my ass is because we have had this like people in the comments and on social media and so on just going nuts if somebody accidentally refers to him as JTT. But I go to the roster page at Ohio State's, you know, football site, and his list is JT to him a low owl. Uh, and Ryan Day <laughs> this week in his various comments referred to him as JTT multiple times. Right. And I'm like, could we could we all get on the same page about this <laughs> rather than random commenters bickering with writers about it? Well, when... <laughs> my suggestion would just call this dude Tombstone, right? Like, just give him like a <laughs> kick ass nickname. And, be done and then it. we can just sidestep all that because uh -huh. I feel like at this point he's earned it. I think at this point he just, he deserves like some badass nickname that we just kind of refer to him by. Uh, well, and see, one of the things I've been thinking is, is, as we've been celebrating Marvin Harrison, uh, you know, there was that one game where he comes out with the Louis Vuitton cleats and the Apple watch and something was said about it during the broadcast. And like at halftime, the Louis Vuitton cleats and the Apple watch disappeared. They yeah. they went by, but do you remember that game? Like this was the like yeah they yeah talked about in the beginning of the game, and they disappeared and they've never come back. Sad. And my comment has been the way he's played: get him a Louis Vuitton watch and Apple cleats if that's oh what he God, wants. Yeah, like, I don't care. Bring him back. You know what? JT also needs 
something like well, he may not be a Louis Vuitton man, but get him whatever it is he wants because that guy uh, was absolutely fantastic. Now the question was asked on the site, one of the poll questions this week, and I want your take on this: Was his performance against Penn State the best individual defensive performance in program history? What say you? Oof. That's, I mean, it's really high up there. And, and again, if you're talking about the entire pantheon of Ohio State games, I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, you look at some of the things that Chris Spielman did in the 80s, like in terms of how many tackles he racked up, especially against Michigan. I mean, I think he had games where he was like almost 20 to- solo tackles, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, that was the thing is, even on even on plays where he's not registering a sack or a tackle for a loss or a, you know, an interception or a forced fumble or whatever, he's still impacting the play. And you watch that game again. I mean, it's every single freaking down. He is just abusing whichever offensive lineman is in front of him. And yeah, man, it's, I don't know if it's the best all time, but it is very, very high up there. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable what he was able, he was able to accomplish. Yeah. I, I'm, recency bias is a thing so anytime somebody poses this question and your gut reaction is like oh my god yeah that was the greatest of all time you always want to be like well okay am i just saying that because it just happened 15 minutes ago but i was reading through you know different people brought up different uh you know different games from history and 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 so on like it's i mean i think you could make the argument and not be like just a total victim of recency bias right so obviously you're gonna go back and find some of Chris Spielman's greatest hits. You're going to go back. Some people mentioned some of Randy Gratisher's games. Uh, you know, AJ Hawk had some all timers in there. You know, there's, there's some great games, but just like to do it all. It was a guy who did it all in one game. Uh, I, you don't see performances like that in and out no. every weekend. And somebody, somebody said, you know, it's the best performance in college football, probably since Indama can sue uh, in terms of just being insanely disruptive. Well, so, and, and you know what? And here's the thing about that. Like that, so I very, very vividly remember Dominican Sue's game against Texas. Um, I think it was the the Big 12 championship game in 2009, I want to say, something like that. Uh, but I remember I remember that game vividly because of how insanely dominant and crazy it was. And like well, I, you know, here, I guess my point is, well, in 10 years, will I go back and go like, oh, do you remember the JT game against Penn State? I don't know, maybe. But um, I, I think what he was able to accomplish definitely deserves to be remembered for, you mm-hmm. know, just as long as we remember the Indomitian Sioux stuff, because that's yeah. pretty kick ass. Yeah, overall, you know, an interesting game for the defense because you have four takeaways. So you've had that's in two games, Ohio State's had 10 takeaways between Iowa and Penn state, like that's really fantastic yep. numbers there. Now I don't see that as particularly sustainable. I think that's one of the, you know, I really feel like um, turnovers are, is one of those stats that's really kind of amorphous and, you know, really fluky in a lot of ways. Um, but you definitely want to see that continue throughout the month of November. I mean, to me, it's, you know, in some instances, it's a byproduct of aggressiveness. I feel like this defense is much more aggressive than yeah. than certainly I think that's a, good point. a year ago. You know, last year's defense was so passive it felt like. Yep. Uh where these guys, you know, the scheme is aggressive, the players are executing aggressively. We talked we've talked about that a few times with relation to some of the the penalties. Um, you know, and things like pass interference penalty penalties and so on. And I'm like, okay, I I think they're somewhat related. However, comma, you know, there's also a school of thought that says you make your own luck in a way yep. and if you're you're doing some of these things 
because how often do you expect a defensive lineman to come up with <laughs> you know these interceptions like this, or right? especially like, in the way that he was i mean good yeah, lord yeah but... yeah 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 it's i mean that's not that's not stuff that you see week in week out no. so you so your point is 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 spot on but what i also find interesting is is as good as i feel like ohio state's defense played we just talked about a few minutes ago uh the fourth down conversion issue and let's face it they did allow penn state to rack up nearly 500 yards of total offense so you know for all the fact that they kept uh penn state out of the end zone they still let them move the ball quite a lot so that yeah. that's one of those things that we haven't seen this is i i have to go back and look but i'm pretty sure this was probably the uh most yards they've allowed all season long uh for any opponent so that you know is maybe not something you'd love to see how are you feeling about Ohio State's defense related to this is where we're going to segue to uh, your area of resident expertise as <laughs> our site chronicler of what's happening in the cesspool known as Ann Arbor. How are you feeling about Ohio State's defense after seeing it Saturday relative to what you've seen from Michigan's offense? How does that match up shape up in your mind at this stage? Um, you know what? I Michigan's offense is really it's their running game is excellent. It, it really is. And and you look at the stats and what they've been accomplishing, it's just it's it shouldn't happen in modern college football. You shouldn't be that one-dimensional and and that interesting and creative on on the running game and so unbelievably like moribund and, and not interesting in the passing game and be that successful i mean it really it's not to the level of like a service academy right or you know like georgia tech in the, the early 2000s or something um but they you know it's a team that knows exactly what they're going to do they're not going to try to fool anybody and they do it and so i don't know i i think there's still a lot to be proven and determined when it comes to ohio state's I, I relationship with the running game in general. And actually, honestly, like I'm not as worried about Ohio state's defense holding up against Michigan's offense as I am vice versa with the running game. I, I really want to see if Ohio state can be successful running the ball against an elite, uh, you know, ostensibly elite. I'm not saying that Michigan's got like the greatest defense in the world or anything like that, but you know what I'm saying? Like a top 15, top 10 type team, can they run the ball consistently? And if they do, then I think Ohio State's got, you know, more than a better chance at getting revenge against the Wolverines in Columbus. But um, I don't know. It, it, well, Michigan really wants to try to control and dictate what happens in the game. And uh, so far, they've been very good at that. And then they were against Michigan State. And again, they get into the red zone. They have their same troubles that Ohio State's been having. And so that kind of precludes a lot of the the chirping that I think you get from Michigan fans this week because they <laughs> they've had their own issues punching the ball in the end zone. Um, but aside from that, they're very consistent. They're very good and definitely need to be paid attention to. Yeah. One of the things that I, I find interesting about that particular matchup when you're talking about the, the rushing game. So Ohio State's defense through eight games is allowing opponents just 93.4 yards rushing per game, an average of 2.9 yards per carry. Not yeah. too bad. Michigan's offense uh, with, uh, let's see, 
uh, 5.7 yards per carry, averaging 246 yards rushing per game and a little better than three rushing touchdowns per game on average. Ohio State's allowing just six-tenths of a rushing touchdown per game, so less than a touchdown per game on average on the ground. So this is one of those where, you know, I kind of set up in my mind the the Iowa-Ohio State matchup in terms of like Iowa's defense and Ohio State's offense as unstoppable force meets immovable object and the unstoppable force won in a very big way yeah. uh, in that game. Now we both know this game with Michigan will be much, much closer than the Iowa game will be. Uh, but it, but it sets up in a big way to me, similarly, when you have Michigan running at basically six yards a clip and scoring three touchdowns on the ground every single weekend versus Ohio state's defense. That's not allowing anyone to run on them. That's the one thing you could hang your hat on for sure is that you can't run against Ohio State. Right. Uh, Now, you made a good point, I think, earlier talking about Penn State. Penn State gave a little bit of the blueprint, some of its creativity uh, and things that it did in the running game. But but that, to me, I I agree with you, will be, I think, the matchup to watch as much as anything is how does Michigan's rushing attack match up with Ohio State's rushing defense because they've both been proven to be pretty good. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like it's, and and again, I said earlier, right? It, these two teams are kind of shadow boxing against each other until the end of November, and you know that's kind of that's going to be something to keep an eye on every single week, and then how we we kind of reckon with what these teams look like going into that final week of the year. Looking at the obverse of that, of course, then the passing side of things. You know, Ohio State's, um, we were talking about Ohio, how well Ohio State can move the ball against Michigan. You know, Ohio State's averaging, um, you know, pretty great <laughs> 71.5% completion rate, averaging almost four passing touchdowns per game, averaging 318 yards per game passing. Whereas if you look at Michigan's defense, their opponents are only converting 52%, completing 52% of their passes for yep. 170 yards a game. So again, you're, you know, it feels like you're matching up strength on strength. Uh-huh. Uh, and in both those matchups. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm getting pretty hungry for this. One thing about the, <laughs> the Michigan contest, I want to, I want to get your take on this situation with the tunnel. Yeah. And I don't want to make light of it, particularly because it sounds like uh, John Q law is going to get involved in right. the, the, the fighting that happened in the tunnel in the Michigan state game. What the hell's going on up there in Ann Arbor? Like the part of me I, wanted to say this is a hardball manufactured thing because they're now going out and, you know, about every other weekend, there's a fight between these two teams in the tunnel, whoever they're playing. Right. Uh, I think, you know, you know what? When I, you get to three or four times, that's a trend. Yeah. And I think honestly, at, at a certain point, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy because, okay, we know that this is kind of an issue and then teams are already kind of conditioned or hyped for it at a certain point. And then, you know, you have a heated rivalry game. Um, you know, some, I'm sure some Michigan state players didn't like how Harbaugh was still continuing to, to throw on them late and whatever and whatever. And, you know, I'm, there was probably some chirping from Michigan players and whatnot. I mean, and then I, I just finished, you know, I just published my threat level where I kind of talked about it in a different way than I normally do. And I just, my, my whole point with this is that none of that is ever acceptable. There's no, but, after you know a player was assaulted you know what i mean there's there's no okay but he was asking for it or this was you know always going to happen there you, you can't you don't say that you just prevent it from happening again in the future and i think that 
requires on the part of Michigan State to do what they're exactly what they're doing right now, which is suspend those players indefinitely and say we're going to have an investigation that may involve law enforcement if necessary. I think that's perfect. I think it's exactly what they need to do. Yep. And on Michigan's part, I think it requires, you know, how can we minimize this happening? And again, I'm not saying I don't mean that in the sense that like, you know, the players are asking for it and they got to stop being exuberant or things like that, because again, there's no excuse for the kind of assault that we saw on that video at all. There are no buts. There's no, well, this is always going to happen. I just mean logistically, like what is, what is something that, you know, Michigan stadium can do as hosts to try to prevent that from happening. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the logistics there would look like, but all in all, man, it's just, it's a crappy situation. It's a bad look. And um, there's just no excuse for it. You know, it's, it's not, I don't care how heated the rivalry game is. I don't care how obnoxious a Michigan player might've been. I don't care, you know, like who said what that's just, that kind of stuff just can't happen and should never happen in, in college athletics period. So um, hopefully it gets nipped in the bud and hopefully this is one of those things that, kind of alerts people that, okay, we've got to address this and take care of it before something really gets bad. Yeah. I mean, you, you asked the right question. And, and I think the thing that really kind of puzzles or galls me, maybe both, you know, when, when it happened the second or third time you, that, that there, the two teams were, you know, fighting in the tunnel. Yeah. Why, why isn't, why isn't the Michigan athletic department saying, Hmm, maybe we need to think about right what are the logistics here like how can we prevent that yeah right no i mean that's a valid point like how how can that be prevented it's their facilities there's got to be a way to you know to prevent that kind of thing from happening i'm I'm Um, assuming at some point the big 10 conference is going to step in here and have something to say about this because it's not a good look when you have a player getting assaulted that way you know it's not it's not a good look for either you know team program university conference insert you know here like it's it's just bad for business all the way around uh and and you know we'll see what happens certainly uh you know the player was assaulted is lawyered up and uh harbaugh was pretty vocal about it in his comments to the media on monday as well he should be and uh, there i don't think it'll be the last (laughs) i don't think it will be the last uh that we'll be talking about the situation i don't think so either which sucks it really does suck but i agree with you i i think unfortunately this is probably not the end of it um i wish it would be because it's i mean you know that video is pretty terrible i mean you don't want to see anybody get jumped like that and hit with a helmet i mean it's just terrible um yeah absolutely but but yeah the situation i don't know i don't know how you address that i don't know how you functionally change the logistics of how that works out i just hope it Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't end up escalating well and certainly i think it would it'll be something that everybody's going to be on high receive oh yeah (laughs) well fortunately for the rest of the season everybody's gonna be on high receive because now this is something everybody is talking about right uh and i think ohio state and and ryan day are probably pretty glad they're not playing up there this <laughs> yeah i agree yeah it'll be interesting to see too what happens this weekend michigan's at rutgers uh betjack.com has them as a 26 and a half point favorite over the scarlet Fantastic. night so yeah we'll probably see more of the same here uh, and mentioning betjack it is a good time to introduce you to our sponsor for the 11 dubcast this week 
BetJack, and a new feature we're going to be running the rest of the season, the BetJack Parlay. Each week, Johnny and I are going to pick three games using the the lines uh, or over-unders because we're, you know, becoming becoming uh, very well-versed in how some of these teams are are. It's kind of hard up. not to with Ohio State. You know what I mean? Yeah, like... you're, you're really thinking about because, you know, we're going to take the over, we're going to take the under here. Yeah. We're, we're picking three games each week from BetJack.com. And the idea here is that we're going to put together our parlay and each week we're going to talk about, I, I got to tell you, Johnny, you know, my favorite, and you know this because we've talked about this before, my favorite segment for years uh, was the $10,000 presidential parlay. It was one of my that favorite pieces of writing ever. This, So I love that we're now getting to do our own parlay here as part of the 11 Dubcast. This is going to be a ball. By the way, Andy, I mean, we're still... Maybe we took a little bit of a setback or step back with our predictions for oh. uh, the Penn State game, but we're overall, yes. overall, I still think we're doing very well in terms of our predictions uh, with, uh, you know, Ohio State scores and, and predictions for uh, for the regular season. So, you know what? This is a good opportunity for us to flex our muscles a little bit and uh, to maybe help some people out. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. So way this segment is going to work, the Bet Jack Parlay, the 11 Dubcast, we're going to pick three games each week, either the line or the over-under from betjack.com. We're going, to, we're going to give you the parlay, and then next week we'll check back in and see how we did. And if you want to follow the lines, of course, you can do that at betjack.com. As I mentioned, they've got uh, Michigan as a 26.5-point favorite over Rutgers this week. Johnny, was that one of the games we picked, Michigan at Rutgers? Yes. What, do you, what do we have this week in the 11 Dubcast Bet Jack Parlay? I tell you what, so we'll we'll – not do that one, uh, <laughs> but we will look at Ohio state Northwestern right now. What? 38 and a half, 39 favorites. Okay. So let, we're going to go straight. We're just going to talk about like coverage, right? Okay. So does Ohio state cover against Northwestern at 38 and a half points? I guess. Absolutely. I'm taking Ohio state to cover. I hate lines that fat. You know, I've said it probably three times this season. Yeah. I, I think they're dumb. I mean, I absolutely hate it when they get that fat. Ohio right. State opened at a 36-point favorite against Northwestern, and the money has flown in. So, you know, I wish I'd have gotten it at 36, but I'm going to take it at 38 and a half because, friends, Northwestern uh, and and my best friend in the world is a, a Northwestern grad, and and I feel bad saying this about a, a BFF's alma mater, uh, but they're bad. They're terrible. As yep. bad as they have been in a long, long, long time, and so I'm, I'm going for it. I, it's tough. Uh, Ohio State has a four, three, and one record against the spread this season. Uh, after garbage time touchdown from that Penn State game we talked about, prevented mm -hmm. them from covering the fifteen and a half points. But um, even though Northwestern is three and a half, three, three out of five, rather three and five against the spread after losing to Iowa. Uh, I still think Northwestern is so bad and Ohio State is so good. They will cover 30 and a half, 38 and a half points. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think just the Northwestern is truly atrocious. And I don't think people quite realize that, but they'll see. They will see next week. I mean, week. they're the worst team in a, a bad Big Ten West. And it's, yeah. and it's not close. Yeah. Okay. So next one here, we got Tennessee and Georgia. Georgia's, at, Georgia's eight and a half point favorites on that one. Do they cover on that? This is, this is a really tough one. Do because, they cover? Uh, you know, again, we were talking earlier about Tennessee and, and why I'm not necessarily scared of them relative to Ohio state. And I think you can say the same thing about Tennessee, that Tennessee's defense is, is not as good 
uh, as as Georgia's offense and vice versa. Like I, sure. I think the matchup here favors Georgia more than it does Tennessee because Georgia is not Alabama. Alabama had some deficiencies that Tennessee was able to to um, exploit. And I, I think Georgia is a, a more sound team, marginally more complete than Alabama was. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, I, I'm I'm going to take the dogs on this one. Yeah, I actually feel like this is one of those games that is just going to end up being a blowout in one direction or the other. Either Tennessee just scores 500 points or Georgia scores, you know, a bunch and then Tennessee just can't get it going. I I think Georgia probably covers this um, maybe in a way that is a pretty convincing victory too. I I, I just think that they're going to figure this thing out. And and again, not to take anything away from it and hooker. I think he's an excellent player, incredible quarterback, but I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia just kind of sits on Tennessee's chest in the second half and, and runs up the score a little bit. Um, and last one here, this is fun. I'm not proclaiming to be an expert on either of these teams, but I enjoy this. Um, the, and we're not going to do the over and under, but I will say the over, uh, is, uh, 72 points in this game. It's Western Kentucky and Charlotte, uh, WKU out there with a 16 point favorite. We got a high scoring game, high octane, high octane game. Um, does Western Kentucky pull it off? Do they, do they cover in the big old shootout? I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be contrarian on this one because I don't want to just say oh yeah cover 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 and, and this is gonna be the one I'm gonna say no they're not gonna yep. cover as I say I really hate fat lines this one isn't quite as fat as 38 and a half obviously but it's still a lot of points in what promises to be a high scoring affair uh, and so this is the one where I'm gonna go contrarian and say no yeah and I'm I'm with you on that one actually when we see that sometimes like down the I don't know. You, you get into like the the G five and whatnot, and you're like, hmm, you know, that's that's maybe something that I could could take a take a gander at, see what's going on with those crazy lines. I don't trust that at all. And I'm um, with you, man. I think that's that's one to maybe stay away from. Um, so just want to thank Bet Jack Ohio Sportsbook uh, for sponsoring us and and you know getting us into this amazing segment where we kind of break down some of these crazy lines and then give us or give you guys our uh, opinions on that. We also want to remind you that bet Jack Ohio sports book is giving away two tickets to the Ohio state mission game on Saturday, November 26, plus a one night hotel stay in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so for more details on how to enter on that, at visit betjack.com or just download the mobile app. Um, and uh, just remind you that BetJack is the only sports book designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. So thanks again to them for uh, helping sponsor us. I love it. That's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. So we'll keep track of our, uh, our successes and shortcomings each week on the BetJack Parlay. And with that, it's on to uh, our second now, second favorite <laughs> segment of the program, Ask Us Anything. Uh, which we would encourage you to do early and often. Johnny, what do we have in the mailbag this week? Well, we want to remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And so this first one here is from Doug. Doug uh, says, gents, love the pod. Question about divisions. You call divisions, quote, dumb. That sounds like a Johnny Getter quote. It does, doesn't Uh, it? Are the Big Ten divisions dumb because they are so grossly imbalanced or for another reason? And is the prospect of Ohio State and Michigan playing back-to-back weeks more dumb? Um, I think they're dumb because they're grossly imbalanced and also just because when you have – there's bloat, right? When you have these many teams, it it almost feels like it's not 
I don't know what purpose divisions actually serve. And honestly, I used to be really anti Ohio State Michigan playing in back to back weeks, but now I actually think it's funny and kind of cool. And, you know, okay, let's say it happens 20 times in a row. Yes, the novelty would wear off, but I, I would be actually okay with it at this point in the game, I think. The competitive imbalance is problematic. Uh, yeah, it's that, bad. That, I mean, that, that, that is a challenge. Uh, and, and probably frankly, that to me is the biggest condemnation of, of divisions. But, but, but the problem is that anytime you think about fixes, you know, you, you start to wonder, is the alternative worse than sure the current, the current state? Right. So you, you highlighted one of the biggest criticisms of divisions is that oh Ohio State and Michigan could play each other in back-to-back weeks and that would be bad and and so on and so forth where you know this year you could conceivably see Ohio State and Michigan both in the college football playoff much in the same way that you have seen you know two SEC teams uh in the playoff and and that would not happen in a scenario where Ohio State and Michigan play the weekend of Thanksgiving and then play again in a Big 10 championship game because unless they split that series and even if they do split that series, you know, it's going to be hard for people to want to see them play three times. Uh, I, I just, but no, that said the other challenge that I have with a world without divisions. And I agree that divisions are dumb because of (laughs) the reasons we've been talking about. And this competitive imbalance is, is, is the biggest one. You know, you have you have a lot of weird scheduling things that can happen. You know, as it is, you've already had some of the rivalries like Ohio State, Illinois, have kind of gone by the way of the dodo. You're going to have more of that now that you're adding, you know, as, you, as Ohio State and the Big Ten uh, continue to gobble up more and more landmass. You had USC and UCLA, and God forbid if we had an Oregon or a Stanford or a Washington or whoever else might join this great big um, cabal what what does the future look like how many times a decade does ohio state play nebraska how many times a decade does ohio state play iowa how many times a decade does ohio state play usc i i'm i'm really interested to see what those what the answers to those questions are mm-hmm. uh and 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 i don't know whether to think divisions make that worse or better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you'd like, and this is every year somebody says, Hey, we need to introduce relegation to this. You know, that's maybe how you fix the competitive imbalance problem is, uh, you know, if you could re- relegate one of these teams to the Mac and call up <laughs> a team from, I, I don't know what to do with it. I know I don't like the way it is now, although, you know, Illinois looks like maybe that'll be an interesting matchup uh, when they win the division and, and end up, you know, Ohio state versus Illinois for, Big Ten Championship, that could be an interesting game. But that's probably the only interesting game. Right. Yeah. Because everybody else is straight up booty. Yep, I agree. All right, yeah, good question. I mean, it's it's going to change a lot, and I think we're going to we're, – we're not going to see all ends. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that we just – things will pop up that I don't think anybody has considered, and then you're like, oh, that will either be good or bad, and we'll deal with it. But it's very hard to make predictions, I think, at this point. Yeah, I mean, think about think about back to when we had the BCS era and people griped about the computers. Yeah. Oh, the computers are terrible, they're terrible, they're terrible. Well, we started the playoff and you had the human element of the voters on the playoff committee. And everybody's like, oh, my God, he's, they're terrible. They're terrible. They're terrible because of the subjectivity. Well, wait a minute. The computers, in theory, were terribly objective. 
they're computers. And we hated that. (laughs) You know, you introduced the committee and they're terribly subjective and we hated that too. So yeah, the same thing will happen is we hate divisions, but the very first year that we don't have them, we'll think of a hundred things that we hate about not having them. Of course. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, and that's just, I think that's just the nature of change in general, but we'll see how it goes. Um, okay. So this next one here is from Kevin, uh, who says, uh, when the initial college football rankings come out on the first November, that would be, uh, today, I guess, as of this recording, who do you think will be ranked five and six? And then I'll ask oh. you the next two after that. Wow. That's really good. Um, that is a good question. I, I like that. Cause I was expecting the, <laughs> I was expecting the softball of who my, who my top four will be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, personally, I would go. I, I think, I think they'll just go straight like AP poll, right? I, I think Clemson and Bama are going to be the last two, yeah. And, and just and Bama only because they've got one loss, and Clemson because they haven't looked very good in a lot of their wins, even though they are undefeated. But I think that's, I think those got to be the two teams, right? Yeah, and because and and TCU fans, they're going to be you know, screaming and howling because they're, sure. hey, they're, they're, but that's, that's too. part and parcel of being the big 12 right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. It sucks. But... That's right. Uh, when, when you get the track record Alabama has, you can, you can get the benefit of the doubt or, or right. not. Um, and right now they don't have it. So that would be the only thing that I could see like shaking that up would be is if voters say, Hey, undefeated team, put them right up there over Alabama. Me personally, I would put Alabama there. I don't, I don't, I don't have any yeah. for that. So I, I agree. I think dogs. it's going to be, Clemson and Bama. And so what games do they have left that's going to determine their, you know, kind of their future? I mean, aside from the championship games, right? Uh, you know, Alabama's got an interesting, they have a really interesting November. Um, they have, so, you know, they're big time. They've got their, well, first of all, they've got their prerequisite, uh, I believe, as you eloquently put it, Andy, chicken shit Saturday. Chicken shit Saturday. Uh, <laughs> on November 19th against the Austin Pay Governors. So that's great. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, and I don't care. Um, they've got to play Auburn, of course, in the last game of the season, uh, coachless Auburn, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then, but first two weeks of November, they've got LSU at LSU and at Ole Miss in Oxford. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really interesting, particularly against Ole Miss, right? Because, I mean, that's, you know, the, man, I <laughs> got to believe, got to believe old lane kiffin uh is, is salivating he that. is licking his chops oh good lord so that's going to be a wild game so i think alabama is actually you know are they going to be a three loss team at the end of the season no but i do think that they've got a hairier road to hoe than uh the clemson does who i mean their their toughest game is like it's saturday at notre dame yeah i mean really and, and that's, I mean, that's it because i mean after that it's louisville miami and south carolina and they play all three of them at home yep and then in the AC, I mean, what you got UNC, maybe. I, yeah, I mean, I guess their their toughest games are you know behind them. And yes, they they could have easily have lost three of those, but they didn't. They're undefeated. And now I think, um, as you mentioned, aside from Notre Dame, which intermittently competent, I guess is probably the best way to put. They're uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish experience in 2022. Yeah, North Carolina is is leading their division, and and they're seven and one. Their one loss was to Notre Dame, uh, 45-32 battle. You know, UNC is ranked uh, in the top 20. Sure, but I'm, I mean, I'm looking and say, okay, what's their what's their best wins? They haven't beaten a ranked team. They haven't. I mean, it's 
you know, wins over Florida A&M, Appalachian State, Georgia State, uh, Virginia Tech, Miami, Duke. You know, these are all teams that are they're not teams anybody's worried about. So, right. you know, they just got done beating Pitt 42 to 24. That's not the same Pitt team that you've had in, in recent years. So uh Clemson's got a pretty easy path to me. And so I think the I think the issue will be is that people look at them and see their flaws and know that they're kind of a paper tiger, pun yeah. pun intended, I guess there. Right. So, you know, teams ahead of them are gonna have to stub their feet. Can Clemson get in the playoff? Yeah. Do I think they're a playoff contender? No. Uh, this is a year because I don't think Clemson is that great where it's more reasonable to me that you see Ohio State and Michigan both be able to get in, assuming a close a close match in uh, the rivalry game. It, I mean, it frankly wouldn't shock me if the finals of the season were you know, Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan. Like, you know, if, yeah. if you've got a couple of those, you know, if Tennessee comes in with one loss and it's to Georgia, I, I don't know. Like there's there's just some weird scheduling thing or weird um, – scenarios that could play out here you know it won't surprise me any combination of georgia tennessee ohio state michigan clemson and alabama none of that will surprise me an undefeated i mean an undefeated tcu though i mean that 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 gets you know that does become an interesting question an undefeated TCU, a one loss usc you know they're this this playoff race is maybe more interesting than it's been in a while i agree and you know what and and the thing is even the team, I mean, yes, the the Pac-12 is going to sort itself because you've got all those teams kind of bunched in the, you know, in the latter half of or the middle, I guess, of the top twenty-five. You know, nine through what, like twelve or fifteen or something. Yeah, like USC. That. I mean, you go from eight down. Oregon, USC, UCLA uh, are eight, nine, ten. You you've got Utah clocking in at number twelve. Yeah. Um, the problem with that though is that they're just going to cannibalize them, each yeah, other, and that's right. Yeah, you know, so that's Oregon and, State and in so, there at twenty-four. They, I mean, that's right. that's as and good they all as have that conference has looked in a while. Yeah, so that that makes it more difficult for them. So I, I think they'll they'll be on the outside looking in. Um, all right, so great question. Next one here. This is from our good friend Alvin. Uh, your last place in your fantasy league, <laughs> I would never, and have to get I mean, a tattoo. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what ink are you getting and where? Oh, good God. Uh, this is one of those things. I must be honest. I have never had the compunction. To, I'm not like anti-tattoo. Yeah, uh, sure. But I, I personally have never had the compunction to get a tattoo uh, by, by the same token like the idea doesn't fill me with some existential dread or anything. I have to tell you this, like the, the coolest tattoo. And I, I shouldn't tell this story, but I know my brother is not listening to this <laughs> podcast. And I say, I shouldn't tell I'm it. Gonna send it to him. I, I say, I shouldn't tell it because I don't want him to hear me saying nice things about him on, on my podcast. Fantastic. Uh, might swell his head a little bit. When we were kids, I, he was, I'd have to think if he was still in high school or if he had graduated this, I mean, he could have been like 18, 19, maybe, but he was still kind of living at home there. Uh, he and dad were kind of like sharing the bachelor pad. Dad was semi-truck driver. So dad would be gone for a good bit of time. It just made sense for them to, to continue being roommates. Uh, little brother was there to look after the place and, you know, both a couple of single guys, uh, no, no reason not to share a bachelor pad. Well, little brother was, um, working on a piece of farm equipment i think it was using like an impact wrench to take off a wheel or something and the nut shattered and a piece of that that shattered uh lug nut flew back and of course the dummy wasn't wearing eye protection like you should have but he oh. took that piece of in essence shrapnel right 
to the orbital socket. I mean, just hit him Yikes. right above the eye. I mean, you're talking like half an inch to being blind in one eye kind of thing, Jeez. right? And so he ends up having to go to the hospital. He goes to the hospital, you know, to get the get the fragments taken out, get the stitches, check, make sure there were any fractures, all those kind of things. So he's in the hospital, like in the emergency or whatever. Mom had gotten the call, I guess, that he, you know, needed somebody to come pick him up, whatever had happened. Well, for whatever reason, they had they like cut his shirt off of him or something. I don't know what had happened, but he's sitting in this hospital room, um, shirtless. And that's when mom found out for the first time that he has this raging bull tattoo on his arm. Like I'm talking <laughs> like big red bull, like, you know, kind of stylized uh, bull pawing and snorting the earth, big horns, Fantastic. you know, the big brass ring in the nose. And, but I mean, that bull is red and it's really well done. And, you know, he had just worn now nowadays little brother wears his pearl snap western shirts with the sleeves cut out of him you know kind of oh, like of course, yeah. you know it was just very was, you know joe camel cool but in those days because he didn't want mother to know he had this tattoo he wore sleeves all the time and so it was funny because mom didn't just jump in his ass with both feet because here he is laid up in the hospital could have been seriously injured he was fine but you know she took it easy on him but he was sweating bullets that mom walked into the That's hospital great. room and so i said so all that to say i do think my brother has one of the coolest tattoos i've ever seen i i would not want to say this in his hearing uh because that's just not you know i don't, I don't want to pump him up too much but I, I might I might look at something like that because his his tat is is pretty righteous. Nice. Uh I would get uh the tattoo that younger Pete has in Pete and Pete Petunia on my forearm, just like Pete and Pete. I think that would be great. I think I would do that. I, telling tattoo stories. So the guy who was the uh the, the the school bus supervisor. So my grandmother was a school bus driver. I rode grandma's school bus uh every day, you know, when I was of school bus riding age. And the guy that ran the bus garage uh, was a Navy vet. So naturally, he had a, this incredible tattoo of a naked lady on his forearm. And so if he clenched his fist and, like, rotated his wrist, the <laughs> naked lady looks like she's doing, like, a little hula dance yeah, or something. Yeah, dancing. There you go. <laughs> and he loved to show that off. And I just look back and I'm like, do people still do cool stuff like that? You know, like you might be cool, but you'll never be as cool as, you know, being a retired sailor with a dancing naked lady tattooed on your forearm. Kind of it's thing. funny. Cause my grandpa, you know, he was in the military during uh, world war two and he, yeah. he got a tat. And by the time it was green, by the time he came home and, you know, I saw it, it was just like this blob on his arm. But yeah. I like, yeah. I always thought it was badass. I thought it was cool as hell. I'm like, wow, grandpa's got a cool tat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I get Petunia. That's that's what I'm going for. I always laugh. Um, I can't remember what movie it was, but they talked about, you know, somebody asked the character. God, I wish I could remember this. It might have been a comedy bit or something. And it was like, you know, I'm going to get a tat, get uh, get a W tattooed on both cheeks. So when I've been over, it says, wow. <laughs> oh, God. Ew. Very childish humor, but it always cracked me up. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. All right. Last one here. This is from uh, Joshua F. If you had to choose one person from 20 strangers to spend four hours every day with for the rest of your life, and the only info you got from them was their one answer was their answer to one question, what question would you ask? Here's what I would ask. As an adult, have you ever bitten anyone? That's Cause that's my baseline. I can put up with a lot of stuff, but if I'm if I have to hang around a crazy person who bites people as an adult, then I'm I'm in trouble. So, and here's the thing, all right? Like 
I would say out of those 20 people, probably only one or two of them has bitten someone as an adult, but I don't want to be anywhere near them. No, that one so, guy, yeah. So it's fine. I can put up with everything else. As wow. long as they just don't bite people, I'm fine with it. That is a really, that is a really good question. That's a great Johnny. question. That is a fantastic question. But I don't and, want anybody biting me, so. And the other thing that's great about it is that assuming, as you say, 18, 19, maybe all 20 of them, the answer is no. Well, the way they react and respond to that question, yeah, you know, might tell you I'll as much as the actually <laughs> as the actual response, right? Right. <laughs> well. Would you bite me if I deserved it? No, that would be insane. Oh, good. Okay, then I can hang out with you. No, uh, would you bite of... me if I deserved it? Maybe. Like, Maybe. okay, well, then you're not on the list. You you're out. It's like doing you're jury out. selection or something along those lines. Yeah, we're doing like, what is that? Well, voir dire? I, yeah, voir dire. We're gonna voir dire the jury. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't top that. That's a brilliant question. Potential I, biters. I have not any anything I say uh, after that is is going to be weak well, sauce by comparison. So I'm fine. I'm, you don't. I'm going to bow down either. and give you a final you, word on that. You don't want to get bit either. It's I do fine. not. I do not. You get to ask the same question. I will allow it. Yeah, I'm going to take that one. That's a win. all right. So that's ask us anything. Thank you for sending those in. That was fantastic, and I really like those questions, and especially that last. One. That's a great. That's a great question. Um, I may want to revisit that at some point. Well, we'll maybe we'll think about a way to rework that back into the Dubcast one more time because I, I like that. it. I like it. Good stuff. All right, friends, let's wrap this thing up. Johnny, come down to the wire here. As we said earlier, Ohio State a thirty and a half point favorite over Northwestern. Uh, yeah. you know, this one's, it feels to me like it's going to be over, you know, midway through the second quarter. Uh, but what do you got? You and I have been doing extremely well, uh, on our predictions aside from being a little exuberant in our call, uh, about the Penn state game, but overall, we're still the leaders out of the clubhouse among 11 warrior staffers. How yeah. you see this one playing out? Uh, Jim Trestle special 54, 10. I like that. And, and as I say, I, I feel real good about him covering 38 and a half. Uh, yeah, 10's probably, 10's probably good on Northwestern. I was trying to, you know, I keep wanting Ohio state's defense to pitch the shutout. out. I just don't know if I'm brave enough to actually call it yet, but yeah. this might be the week. This, this might, be. this might be the week. I really thought Iowa could have been Iowa's offense was so bad. Um, and the question is whether or not you think Northwestern's offense is, is worse. It just than feels Iowa. like every booty offense just plays a little bit better against Ohio. Just because they're garbage like hyped day, up and they take know. chances and I don't know. In the garbage time, you know, right. the, the the garbage time uh touchdowns kind of bite you in the ass. Once once Ohio State's got the third stringers in, you know, some craziness happens, whatnot. So so we'll stick with 10. I, did you say 59 10? Is that what you said? 50, I said 54 10. 54 10. Yeah, which that's that's legit. Yeah, okay. So uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's really pretty good. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dial it in at 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 forty nine forty nine six. All right, forty nine six is gonna be my official call. I. You know, I keep waiting for Ohio State to rip off uh, a bunch of fifty point games. Um, but I do think they call the dogs off early on this one. Is why I'm not. Not going to be quite that brave. I don't think the starters will be long in there long enough to get up to 54 or 56, something along those lines. But I also think the defense is going to stand up. Might see a couple field goals. Might see a couple field goals. Maybe a maybe a touchdown with a a, a block point after. So yeah, we'll call it 49-6. Buckeye. Sounds good to me. All right, I like it. We'll recap it next week, friends. We'll find out how we did with our first bet jack parlay of the season. 
uh, and we'll have the CFP playoff uh, poll results or, or ranking results to talk about. Those will be released later today. We'll look forward to talking about that as well as the results of Ohio State's uh, bout against Northwestern. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. Cast.